0: That's right. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling, wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com tech.
0: This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com and enter offer code expert at checkout. A better web starts with your website.
1: Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast. Conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp and John Rojas here. Thanks for tuning in. Guys, this is all I have to say to you. Learn or die. Seriously, that is the title of the book. Written by our guest this week, Edward Hess. Ed is a professor of business administration at the University of Virginia's Darden School of Business and the author of 11 books, including his most recent learn or die using science to build a leading edge learning organization. We do talk about organizations and why they need to foster this environment of learning and growth and screwing up and learning from that. But we also talk about as an individual, how do you become a better learner? Why is it so important? What are the things you need to do to be more competitive and just to be a better just a better person, right? <laughs> Today in our in our crazy environment, Ed uses his 25 years of research in the fields of behavioral economics, neuroscience, and psychology to reveal advances in our understanding of the individual human learner and type of work environment that best enables those capabilities. So much fun. So on par with the message of Smart People Podcast. I loved it. It Made me feel good about trying to be a learner. And I know that you are sitting there going, yeah, this is the stuff I believe in. That's why I listen to the podcast and... And do what you do. So appreciate that. Head on over to smartpeoplepodcast.com. We got new posts every week where we kind of highlight the quotes that we found most interesting, the things we learned. You can also sign up for our newsletter, which thanks to everybody who's signing up, we love keeping in touch with you. I want to apologize. I know we sent two newsletters on one day, and uh, last week, that's my bad. So here it is. Hope you get a lot from this interview. I'm going to turn it over to Edward Hess. Ed, thanks so much for being on the show. Really excited to talk to you because as we were kind of just discussing prior to the interview your focus is on learning. And that's what you teach. That's what you just wrote a book about, Learn or Die, using science to build a leading edge learning organization. And I find the fact that you put uh, a learning organization in there extremely unique. And as you know, this podcast is based around learning. And so I'm just so interested to to learn more about what you do and your expertise
2: and why you do it. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And um... Thanks to all, all your listeners for, uh, for listening to us.
1: Absolutely. And I'm also excited to talk to you know a fellow Virginian, if you will. I know you are a professor at Darden School of Business at University of Virginia, which is, a f- I mean, I know this because I grew up not too far from UVA. Uh, it's a state school. Everybody oh. kind of knows the differences. UVA is a fantastic, nationally recognized, fantastic school, especially their school of business.
2: Well, you're, you're kind. You're kind.
1: First, I want to talk about, I know you, you teach uh, business administration, and I wanted to talk about kind of how you got into that. What what drew you to it? Were you always interested in this concept of learning, or was it some other way that you kind of got into this field?
2: That's a good question. Well, first, I spent about 30 years in the business world before going to academia. And, and during during that time, I had uh, two different Forays, if you will, into into psychology. My undergraduate uh, work, I spent a lot of time in educational psychology, and I was very fortunate to be at a at a state school in the South that had a preeminent professor, Art Combs, and uh, that I studied under. And he he basically had trained with Carl Rogers, and he was one of the leading lights, if you will, in educational psychology and, in, 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 if you will, learner-centric learning. And uh, I was going on from undergraduate school and get a PhD in psychology, and and uh, I uh, got very involved in uh, a presidential campaign of a candidate, and, and that uh, led me to the decision that I needed to go to law school, and I came to the University of Virginia Law School, and that took me to Wall Street to practice law, and ultimately took me to Wall Street and investment banking and along that journey I took a detour and uh, decided I really wanted to go back to psychology and I was accepted into a very good cognitive psychology graduate program and uh, so I went back to psychology and uh, fueled my love of cognitive psychology and learning and basically I was looking at uh, decision-making and judgment and uh, decided at, at one point in that that I, I missed the business world and I, I came back to the business world but didn't, didn't lose my love for cognitive psychology and how we learn and how we think and, and that was sort of involved stayed in the background through my business career. And um, um, I joined academia 13 years ago and one of the first things I wanted to do uh, I'd spent my life, my part of my life in investment banking and strategy consulting, and I've, I really felt like um, how people make decisions, and basically that um, bad decisions and, and, and bad business decisions and companies failing, so much of it depended on how people thought and uh, their thinking, and whether they continued to learn or whether they were arrogant, had fixed mindsets, etc. So I stayed with it, and when I got back into academia, I got into it through, through my study of um, organic growth, innovation, uh, and the, in, in effect, the role of learning and innovation, and and reached the point where I said I need to go back and revisit all of the science of learning and think about how it would fit in the business world today, because there hadn't been a, in my judgment, a good. Learning Organization book written since 1990 when Peter Senge wrote his landmark book, The Fifth Dimension. So long-winded answer, but uh, it's, been a, it's been a journey of years where cognitive psychology and learning has been a passion of mine. And, uh, uh, and I've been able to, uh, thankfully, with a lot of research funding, uh, to spend the last few years, several years, Really focusing on what this book is all about is uh, how, you know, in effect, how can you and I become a better learner? And how can an organization, if you will, create an environment where its people can be better and faster learners? Because I firmly believe that learning in most businesses may be the only sustainable competitive advantage.
1: Right. Yeah. And I can't wait to talk about that. But first, let's, from all the things I heard, so you have a PhD in psychology.
2: No, I did not finish the, um, I did not finish. I came back to the business world because I missed it. I I didn't finish my PhD.
1: I was trying to figure out. I mean, that's a lot of stuff. But you went, you know, you went for your PhD, law school, Wall Street for law, and then the investment banking side. A lot of work in, cognitive psychology, and then politics as well, that's a extremely broad and interesting. I think you covered almost every area that at one day I wish to cover. So I can see yeah. how our interests align. And I also wonder, there can be a lot of anxiety when you have that many different interests. When you're really curious and you want to learn, everything's interesting. So what kind of, it, it seems like you just said, you know what, I'm interested in that. I'm going to work hard at that. And you, you let your
2: passions your curiosity guides you is that
1: is that kind of a, a way you feel like you've gotten to where you are and w- the way you've lived
2: you know that that's a that's a very astute question because first some people look at my background and say gosh you couldn't figure out what you wanted to be when you grew up others uh, say you're a curious fellow so there's there's two sides to that coin but let me it's it's chris it's very interesting because i i was a lawyer and I went into investment banking and became a senior partner in an investment banking firm. And, uh, to be honest, I didn't know how to do an internal rate of return computation, <laughs> but the first, the CEO that hired me knew me personally. And he said, the one thing I know about you is you know what you don't know and you know how to learn. And, um, uh, and so, you know, he says, jump in the pool. And so much of, of my life has been jumping in the pool and somewhere along the way, I, I, I learned to recognize quickly what I don't know that I needed to know, and I was able to learn it, and after you do that two, three times, you become more comfortable in the unknown and the uncertain and with the ambiguity, and you sort of have a, a, a modus operandi, I'm going into a new situation, I need to listen a lot, I need to ask a lot of questions, I need to figure out what's really important that I need to know and I need to figure out how to go learn it. And, um, and that sort of, if you will, has it, been uh, um, my you know my operating system and, and um, so far it's, it's, it's worked. And I think the key is, I just was open to okay, I don't know but I can learn.
1: Yeah, I think that that's such a key point. And again, it's it, it seems like you're taking so many words almost out of my brain because I I used to I've been in a lot of careers already and in, in you know about a decade and I, I enjoy change but I get nervous when, with new jobs. Am I going to be good at this? Are people going to realize how much I don't know? But the more you do it, that exposure, as what they talk about with fear and all those things, the more you do it, the more you understand, I'll be okay. I've continued to succeed going this far. And I feel like you got comfortable with that. What advice do you have for people, actually? Because you said you became comfortable in that unknown. But oftentimes, it's uh, some people can take it. I know I still probably do. Can take it as a negative when they realize how little they know. How do you get comfortable with the fact that y- there's some things you just don't understand?
2: Well, I think it goes. I think it goes back, and I, I understand completely why most people feel, or a lot of people may feel, uncomfortable because if you think about our educational system and and how we are raised, uh, you know, you're 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 supposed to get all A's. You're not supposed to make uh, mistakes. Uh, you you know, you. It's the the system sort of penalizes the acknowledgement of ignorance. And you know, you look at every great scientist, and you 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 know, you talk to scientists. They're, you know, that basically, ignorance is is a requirement in order to be a great scientist. Because if you knew everything, you wouldn't have anything to go look for. And um, and so I I think we need a definition. I. I think I created, and I think what we need in this country is a different different definition for what being smart is. Being smart is not the amount of what you know. It's not being right all the time. It's not being the first one with the right answer. It, it's really knowing what you know, but more importantly, knowing what you don't know and knowing how to learn it. And we, we've got to, you know, people have to decouple their ego from what they believe, so that they're still willing to go out and, what I say, stress-test it against better evidence, continue to learn, don't have a fixed mindset, don't basically be rigid and closed-minded, treat everything you think you know as conditional, subject to new evidence. Now, I'm not talking about values, I'm talking about what we know, and to try and stay open-minded and to... Uh, not be defensive when you're challenged. And so we don't really do a good job in this country of teaching that in schools. Therefore, when people get into companies, they really don't do a good job with that. And that's one of the big things that has to change in the business environment that we're fixing to go into with advanced technology. And so the answer, you know, the, the answer I would give you is sit back and think about what is your what's your definition of being smart? If it's always having to be right, you know, there's no way that's going to be, you know, this, the, this, this image in the country we have of, a, you know, is a, a, a great leader is the person who knows the most. No, I think a great leader is, is, is a leader who knows what he or she doesn't know and is able to inspire lots of other people to admit their ignorance and they go on a learning journey. And that journey is full of experimentation and innovation and trying things. And they just keep working at it hard day in and day out. And so I I think that I think that we we need to change our definition of what smart is.
1: You know, one thing you pointed out in your book is you talk about how humans can be lazy thinkers. I love the idea of that. And and it was one of those things that after I read that, I said, well, that's kind of common sense. But I don't think. Actually, I bet you would be willing to say it's a, it's a bias of ours, right? It's a cognitive bias that we don't recognize that until it's pointed out. And only then if we're willing to, to understand how we don't like to be challenged and we will figure out ways to support our current line of thought.
2: Yes, we're, 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 you're exactly right. I mean, if you really wanted to summarize how most of us think most of the time, First, we're on autopilot, and two, we're one big confirmation machine. We basically prioritize cognitively processing information which confirms what we already believe. And we operate really, we're, we're fast, reflexive thinkers. And, uh, and uh, Daniel Kahneman, the Nobel laureate, used the term, you know, la- the lazy thinking, laziness is built deeply into our nature. And... You know, it was interesting. I was doing a consulting project last week with 75 executives of a, of, of a public company on this topic. And it was interesting. I asked them to define what thinking was and how do they know when they're thinking and how do they know when their thinking is good? And if, you know, and they, they, they came up and these are smart, successful people. They said, well, it, it just sort of happens. And that's the autumn the automatic pilot type of thing, and 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 so really, the whole concept of learning means you have to be open to new information, which changes your mental models. You you continually, if you will, adjust your mental models to the reality, to truth, and uh, and most people find uh, you know don't even realize that, and and so it's not just the cognitive. I mean, the science of learning doesn't paint a pretty picture of us as humans. We're, you know, we're cognitively confirmation machines, emotionally, emotionally, rationality. I mean, the science says rationality is a myth. Emotions are wrapped and intertwined in almost every step of our cognitive processing. Just like we're a confirmation machine cognitively, Emotionally, we're inclined to defend what we think and protect our ego and self-image. So cognitively, we seek to confirm, and emotionally, we seek to defend. And in order to be a really good critical thinker or to be really good at innovation, you've got to basically overcome those natural proclivities. And the difficulty, Chris, is it's very hard for any one individual to do that by him or herself.
1: I'm so glad you said that. It takes it takes others. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that, because I, I realize one of the reasons why I think the learning the cognitive emotional parts that are so difficult for us is because we don't want to deal with the struggle of. Flipping our world upside down, right? Something we've always taken for granted. We don't want to prove ourselves wrong on that because then we have to question so many other things. We we might have to look deeper at so many things. And life's complicated enough as it is. So I think what you mentioned is sometimes it helps to have that reflective person on your side that can at least guide you through that process.
2: Well, I I, I agree with you. And I think I'd even be a little stronger. It's almost necessary in most cases. And uh, I think the, the the research basically says, you know, it's very hard for us to overcome by ourselves our confirmation bias. It's much easier to identify other people's, Daniel Kahneman said this, it's much easier to identify other people's thinking mistakes in our own. And uh, uh, Nobel laureate Herbert Simon, uh, I was reading his autobiography the other day, Ma- uh, and he had an interesting statement, um, and I'm sure you know who Herbert Simon was. He was one of the early early artificial intelligence and machine learning people, the Nobel laureate in economics, one of the founders of Carnegie Mellon's Business School, and he had a great line in his book that uh, he said, we we tend to think people who agree with us are much more intelligent than those who disagree with us. And he also had a line that that business principles we all know what the best business principles are but he says but they they rarely rarely are put in place and he said business business principles just like christianity are rarely realized because of our human thinking weaknesses and our lack of self management and that's why it takes other people and and that's why the environment in taking other people in order for me to learn from you I have to trust you we have to I have to emotionally feel comfortable with you and that you're not going to do me harm and so if you think about it in the business world where it's generally some organizations are organized and they create competition between employees if you think about it those type of environments are not conducive to real constructive collaboration and egoless collaboration, which you need in order to really constantly challenge what you think and come up with what is the best evidence-based answer.
1: You know, the person that put that so clear for me was Simon Sinek. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you're familiar with his work, but recently, uh, not not his first one, but the most recent book and TED talk he gave was about how, fear in an organization is the number one destructor of growth and how it has to encompass every single employee. Because if people are just worried about how they appear, how they're going to be rated in their evaluation, if they're going to keep their job, they're completely unwilling to step outside of any Constraints. So that's yes. why you get people on the phone, you know, the the uh, customer service that can't stray from a script, as opposed to Zappos, for example. We interviewed the CEO Tony Shea and he says, "Listen, I hire smart people. I give them the gu- the basic guidelines, but then I let them use their very capable brain to answer these questions, and it provides for a much better experience." And he has therefore taken the fear out of the organization and instilled a sense of understanding, trial and error.
2: I couldn't agree more. And that's why, that's why I come down real strong in the book with the point that in order to be a high-performance learning organization, a leading-edge learning organization, it's got to be a positive emotional work environment that results in high employee engagement. And it cannot be a culture of fear and it basically that means it's not going to be what Douglas McGregor called theory x leadership command and control in a non-humanistic view of people i mean if you really a, a really a, a company that's really a great learning organization is a humanistic company it's it's a, it's a it's a company if you if you will where it's it has to be emotionally robust because you've got to overcome The defensiveness and the and the fear the fear of failure the fear of looking bad the fear of losing your job and you're not going to do that unless you trust people and trust the environment and what that means is it takes in organizations a different definition of mistakes than what exists today now I'm not talking about mistakes where you lose billions of dollars I'm talking about we'll call it normal mistakes and if you look at great learning organizations they accept mistakes as learning opportunities. So the the environment that we have in the corporate world today, that's, that's, why, that's why I feel so strongly to bring the science of learning into the business world today is going to require most companies to transform themselves.
1: That's what I want to get into next, the science of learning, specifically within organizations. The one thing that your recent comment brought up for me was, and I'm, I can't remember where I heard it. But I heard somebody say that organizations, when they evaluate their employees, should really, aside from all the things they're doing, they should say, what five things did you try this year or this quarter or whatever it might be that didn't work? Because at least that means they're trying things that can grow the organization. Because if you don't have those, then you're not trying hard enough. And I just thought, man, that's really insightful.
2: You know, I've spent a lot of time. The last 10 years inside of companies working on organic growth strategies, cultures, processes, doing experiments uh, and teaching, teaching companies how to do experiments. And I think that the, you know, it, it's I, I've come to the conclusion that not only is fear one of the biggest inhibitors of learning in in organizations in public companies, short-termism uh, is as big an inhibitor of learning. Too many, too many companies are just dr- the internally driven to quarter-to-quarter earnings. And when you look at the statistics in public companies today, the average CEO's tenure is 4.6 years. And you look at the volatility that exists in, our, in the corporate world driven through our, our capital markets, and, you know, it's, it's a it's a rare company that basically says, look, we're going to try and do a lot of experiments. A lot of them are not going to uh, work out, but you've got to be uh, in us for the long term. And I mean, if you go back and look at Amazon and read Amazon's annual report every year from the time it went public, Jeff Bezos finishes with the same last sentence or paragraph every time. We are in it for the long term. We're going to try a lot of things. They're not all going to work. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. And if you're not in it for the long term, we're not the company for you.
1: Makes a lot of sense.
2: And so you're exactly right. But what it takes is is a company that's got a long-term view and realizes that, especially when you're talking about trying new things, you know, you, you've got companies, you, you've got two different tolerances for failure. You've got operational excellence, which is 99% defect-free in organizations. And then when you really get to innovation and trying new things, the failure rate in most companies is 90% or more. And the conundrum is for companies to be able to have a learning environment with two different tolerances and two different measurement systems, depending on the activity, and two different, uh, um, basically, tolerances for failure.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of, I'm a big sports fan, and it reminds me of sports coaches. I'm thinking of the Redskins in particular because we're in Virginia and they're my team. But I I don't know. They have something like 10 coaches in the past 15 years. There's something insane. And each one kind of talks about what they're going to bring to the table and how they're going to rebuild the organization or the team. And then they're fired within a year or two because they don't produce results. And all that leads to is a coach coming in and thinking, how can I do something great this year? And oftentimes that's almost impossible. You have to look towards the draft, what, what positions you have to fill gaps in, where you can learn throughout this season. Because if all you're thinking is, how am I going to keep my job? And this goes in for organizations as well, then you're not even going to pay attention to what went wrong because all you want to do is get the, the necessary amount of things right to keep right.
2: that. Right in the environment business i mean we live in a business environment today that is that's characterized by volatility change ambiguity the pace of change driven by technology primarily globalization also plays a part but primarily by technology the pace of change in the next 10 years is going to increase dramatically because of artificial intelligence and and basically, the the company of the future is going to be staffed by some combination of smart robots, artificially intelligent smart machines, and humans. And the humans are going to, have to are going to be doing what the technology can't do well. And and that's basically complex, critical thinking, innovative thinking, and high emotional engagement with other humans. And if you think about it, going to what we're talking about. Really and truly, technology is going to basically drive operational excellence, and humans are going to drive innovation. Innovation, you've got to have the right environment and be a learning organization, basically, in order to compete in that environment. And so the changes that are coming are going to move in the direction that you're talking about, and it's going to challenge many, many businesses and and uh, and. Companies are going to need a blueprint for how to do all of that, and, and that's really one of the purposes of the book. But the, the point I'm, I'm, I'm making here for our listeners and everything, we're fixing to over the next 10 to 15 years in an, in an environment of technology change, which uh, makes everything up to now look simple. And, uh, and we're all going to have to take our learning game to a higher level, all us humans, because we're going to have new people to compete against. We're just not competing against humans. We're going to be competing against smart machines and smart robots, depending on what your job is. So we've got to take our learning game up, and organizations have got to take their learning game up in order to, to compete and, uh, in that environment. Because the technology is going to basically be, except for the algorithms, is going to be a commodity.
0: We'll be right back to this interview after a quick word from our sponsors.
1: This week, our sponsor is Squarespace, and I'm sure you've heard me say it before, but honestly, Squarespace is hands down the best way to make a website these days. It is an all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. I've talked about this so many times, but I am terrible at the whole website making. I don't really understand it, but I have used Squarespace and built a number of sites, one for a friend who's gone on to do thousands of dollars in business uh, for her photography business, I've done my own website. It's so easy. They do drag and drop. There's 24-7 support through live chat and email. So I run into some snags just because I don't know what I'm doing. And you can just pull out a chat, like an instant message, and they will figure it out. They've, they've done it a number of times. And plans start at just $8 a month, which includes a free domain name whether you wanna sell something online, do a blog, whatever it might be, Squarespace allows for all of that capability and functionality. Start a trial with no credit card required and start building your website today. Squarespace is giving smart people podcast listeners a special deal. So when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to go to squarespace.com and use the offer code expert to get 10% off your first purchase. And it'll show your support for smart people podcast squarespace a better web starts with your website that brings up a good point how given that you've done so much studying on the science of learning in regards to both individuals and organizations i'm wondering for individuals myself listeners how do we take our learning to the next level how do we prepare ourselves for this coming trend
2: good question i think the first place we have to start is we got to accept the science of learning and we've talked about that we got to accept the fact we're fast reflexive lazy thinkers we're confirmation machines and emotionally emotionally we're defensive we're defensive thinkers okay if you don't accept that you're not going to get to if you will the next step we've talked about the definition of being smart we got to decouple our beliefs from our ego and we got to basically define ourselves not by what we know, but whether we use best critical thinking, innovative thinking, listening, collaborating practices. So how we process this. So we've, we've got to take our game to the next level. We've got to learn and rigorously use daily best practices for critical thinking, innovative thinking, collaborating managing ourselves we got to actually grade ourselves daily and what that requires for most of us since we in order to do that we've already talked about it generally occurs in teams we've got to develop our emotional intelligence we've got to basically you know develop our ability to be aware of how we're thinking and when we need to take it to a higher level we got to be we've got to start talking differently we, we've we basically got to ask ourselves, why do I believe that? What assumptions am I making? What facts do I have to justify those assumptions? Do I have enough credible evidence to believe what I believe? I've got to go ask somebody, hey, this is what I think. What am I missing? I've got to voluntarily seek constructive feedback. Um, and when somebody's giving me feedback, I've got to learn to actually listen non-judgmentally. Listen and not formulate my answer while he or she are talking, all right? And actually be open-minded to consider that. That, that requires us to manage our emotions and that fear of looking stupid, that fear of making a mistake, We've, we've got to be comfortable with our ignorance. We've got to be comfortable. And so what do we need to do? We've got to change our mindset about being smart, about ignorance. We've got to learn processes. we got to use them. And then we've got to develop our emotional intelligence so that we can develop our mindfulness, empathy, and humility. And to be, to be a great learner... You've got to have empathy, you've got to have humility and you've got to have great mindfulness paying attention to how you think how your how your emotions are, and how other people's emotions are uh, and all this takes hard work. there's no easy you know you, you you go on a you go on a journey and I have to I have to be you know brutally honest with you when I got deeply into this research. It was a wake-up call for me. I had I had to come to the personal realization. I had to take my learning game to a higher level, and my goodness, I had a lot of stuff I needed to work on. Okay? I was I was that kid who grew up in in the rural south and I was not an athlete, so, you know, my ego was all around you know, being the smartest kid in the class, and that meant raising my hand the fastest, and that means interrupting the teacher, and that means not listening to other people, and you know, and that worked for a lot of years, but that doesn't work in this in the in the world today because knowledge is being created so fast, and there's so much I don't know, so I had to basically work on my listening. I had to basically learn to, how to quiet my ego. I had to basically create some checklists that I use before each meeting, and critical thinking checklist and questions, and I grade myself each day. Uh, and I've been doing this now for you know a year and a half. And am I a better learner now than I was when I before I started this book? Yes, but I still got a lot of work to do. And yeah. uh, and we all have got to get to that point of what we work on stuff. Uh, it's very interesting.
1: And I know we're getting short on time, but I wanted to touch on the organization as well because it's different. You know, you have structures in place. There's a culture. You need to look at leadership. And I was wondering, you know, we talked about fear, but what can leaders do to really encourage learning, to make it a place where their employees can survive, can thrive? Because as always, they're looking at the bottom line. And so yeah. how, how do they look at both? Because seemingly they're different. I understand they're linked, very intertwined. But seemingly, if you spend uh, five hours of an employee just doing some learning, th- that's five hours. They're not working towards your bottom line directly.
2: Yep. All, all good questions. And, and the, one of the good things that, that I did in the book is bring four, five companies into the book, different levels of detail, uh, who have been engaged on this journey, and uh, they're all different. And they, there's no one way to do this. You know, if you if you're gonna if you're gonna build what I call a learning system, first you have to define the learning behaviors you you want, and then you have to create the environment that encourages those behaviors. And you put in processes, but you've got to actually measure and, and reward those behaviors. And, it, and what it takes is is a is a culture of candor, uh, where people can be honest, permission to speak freely, people can question, they can critique, mistakes are learning opportunities, takes the rigorous use of, of best practices. Take Intuit, Inc. Intuit started about seven years ago, very successful company, very profitable company. But the founder, Scott Cook, felt like we need to take our game to a higher level and he wanted to transform the company into a higher-level learning organization, a culture of experimentation and innovation. And and it's in the, the book has a chapter on their story and what they did. And what's interesting is, is how they started with the leadership, because he knew that leaders had to change their mindsets and their behaviors in order for it to work, because they had to role model it. And 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 they came up with a saying uh, that it's time to bury Caesar. No more can we be a you know top down. Only senior leadership makes decisions and decisions are basically made based on powerpoints and uh, and we'll call it the the usual corporate stuff. and it's it's like and they they basically went on a journey that basically um, empowered every employee and gave them permission to go do small experiments and taught everybody how to do experiments. And um, But it's interesting there where they focused on the fact that leaders have to change. And what's fascinating in that that chapter is, is how Scott Cook talks about his first 360-degree uh, review and what he had to work on and what the CEO, Brad Smith, talks about how he spends his time as a CEO and what percent of it is actually going out in the world and learning. And uh, so, interesting. When you look, um, if you, there's another company, which I don't have on the, in the book because of space, Pixar, Pixar Animated Studios. Fascinating company. Whole culture of candor. Whole culture built around our mental models are not, our, are not reality. Think about that. Our mental models are not reality. What we believe, our stories of the world, are not reality. They're our stories, just like I have my story, Chris, you have yours. And Pixar is a great company to learn from. W.L. Gore & Associates, fascinating company, okay? They structure themselves in small business units, generally a business unit or operation doesn't have more than 250 people, so it's possible to have personal engagement and in, in sort of everybody generally knows everybody. Every employee, and they have 10,000 employees, every employee at Gore has a personal mentor for their development, their personal development. All right? And development is all what we're talking about. That mentor, a big part of his or her annual review is how well their mentees are doing. At W. L. Gore, you are only appointed a leadership position if others want to follow you. All, if you will, all of these companies are doing things differently than what I'd call the traditional management practice coming out of the industrial revolution. In the, in a learning, the learning company of the future, hierarchy will exist. There'll be different titles, but fundamentally, hierarchy and structure has to change. The whole role modeling of these behaviors, leaders are going to have to be authentic, uh, human, okay? Leaders are going to get emotional coaching. Um, you know, they've got to exhibit mindfulness and empathy and humility. I mean, that's a big change for a lot of leaders. So the other thing that the book does is it, it spends about 50 pages on the most advanced learning organization that i found. That's Bridgewater Associates, the biggest hedge fund in the world. And they have a culture and an entire system designed to help people mitigate their closed mindedness, their intellectual arrogance, and their ego defenses. And learning is so key. The key there is how fast are you learning? And it's, you know, it's got candor, permission to speak freely, transparency, authenticity, same rules for everybody. Every one of these companies does some things very, very well. There's no perfect company, but these people are working at it, and it takes time. Intuit's been at it seven years, for example, in their their transformation. So there's places to go look and learn. And another place to look is a very large organization which has been on the forefront of learning for years, and that's the U.S. Army. In, In 2011, the Army came out with their Army Learning Concept. 2015. And it's all about critical thinking. And the U.S. Army now has a major initiative where they're, their comprehensive fitness concept, where they're training a million soldiers in psychological strength and positive performance. And it's basically emotional intelligence training and positive psychology training. And so if an organization with a million employees is into what you and I are talking about, I can tell you that everybody is going to be push there because of technology.
1: I didn't imagine this question coming to me, but I I have to ask it. Aside from technology, why is it so important that we question everything, that we continue so hard to stay ahead of the curve? Why can't you just say, you know what, instead of hiring people and and encouraging them to learn, I'm going to hire already really, uh, and I don't want to say smart, but just experienced people, and tell them to do their job really well. And that will give us our, you know, our step ahead, that'll give us our bottom line.
2: Well, first it depends on your business model. Is your business model based on operational excellence or is your business model have a heavy component of, of innovation or a heavy component of high emotional engagement with employees? So let's say you, know, you wanna go hire smart people You know, it's different types of smartness for operational excellence than it is for innovation, than it is for high emotional engagement or, or emotional intelligence. So first it's, you know, figuring out what type of smarts you need and then figuring out, okay, are these people great learners or were these people in a system where the system drove the performance and they had to basically manage variance? And in most operational excellence organization managers leaders basically they they get up in the morning and what they look for is variance and they want to get rid of variance so you know you, you really i think you really got to you ask a good question if your hiring practices are sophisticated enough that you can identify just like the question you asked me whatever 20 minutes ago all right uh, on the you know what's the five things you worked on this year that didn't work Um, if, if you're, if, if you have got the right hiring processes and the right testing processes and you can hire people with a, what I call, what Carol Dweck calls a growth mindset and people with that, you know, are curious, are willing to explore and take risk and, but have an open mind. If you can find them, you ought to hire all of them you can. (laughs) It makes a lot of sense makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I love that. Well, but, Ed, but, but, but what you got, Chris, what you got to make sure is that the environment that you have, that you're bringing into, bringing them into, doesn't squelch them. Right. You got to make sure you got your house in order. And you know what? When you get your house in order, Chris, the amazing thing is you can't become complacent. You got to work at it every day because you got to fight arrogance and complacency and, and ego and uh, fear cropping in. I mean, everybody, whether it's uh, Ray Dalio at Bridgewater or the CEO of Pixar or or even Adio. Adio has a great learning culture and they have very bright people and they have an interesting philosophy. They want their people to fail real fast when they come in because most of these very smart people have never failed at anything in their life because failure makes you humble.
1: Yeah, and it's so it's one of those things so hard to deal with, but that's why it makes you humble.
2: <laughs> well, but if you understand if you accept the fact you don't know everything, and if you understand in order to learn you're going to make mistakes, that basically most learning occurs through mistakes. It's interesting. Intuit in order to make it easier for people to deal with, they they sort of call their mistakes surprises. So they ask somebody, what surprised you? instead of what mistake, what did you learn from your mistakes that's genius you? that's genius i love that so what surprised you and so looking for surprises um, and being open to surprises it's it's really uh, as you can tell i feel passionately about this this is this is this is really interesting stuff
1: absolutely well
2: and it's because it's all tied up really if you get down to it all all tied up into Emotions and in re, having real relationships in work and trusting relationships. You know, I, I trust you, Chris, that when you're giving me feedback, you really don't want to do me harm. You're giving me feedback because you care about me as a person, and I'll do the same to you. And that's why transparency and authenticity politically in an organization, uh, and you know, in, in most organizations, Most organizations I've worked with, Chris, if you and I are in the same place, yeah, I like you, Chris, and everything, but, you know, I don't want you looking too good because, you know, there's only going to be so many slots. Sure. You and I are ultimately competing for the same slot, but I like you a lot, my friend, but gee whiz, I want to, you know, I don't want to like you too much.
1: (laughs) Ed, again, I really appreciate it. And I wanted to see for those that are interested in your work, your writing. This topic is there anywhere you could recommend our listeners go? Do you have a website, or is there a special place you want to um, recommend?
2: On on this on this this topic, um, um, the Batten Institute, at, um, the, which is the institute at Darden Business School, uh, which is the institute where innovation and entrepreneurship is is headquartered, um, has a website for my book. It has, um, it has, uh, blogs I've written about the book. It's got, um, uh, short YouTube, you know, two to three minute summaries of each chapter in the book. Um, and then, um, uh, if people have interest in, you know, that it, it, there's also, and an let they can then go from there to other information, which has, you know, other work that I've done over the, over the years and, the other thing is, it's pretty easy to Google me um, and um, people will see see what I've been working on over the past five to seven years.
1: Absolutely. Well, Ed, thank you again so much for taking uh, this much time out of your night. I really appreciate it and look forward to to learning more about it.
2: Well, thanks. Thank you for having me. Thank you for uh, the good good conversation and I look forward to learning from you. I'm, I'm, I'm I just got my first newsletter tonight, and uh, so it was a great it was a great learning opportunity that that we got connected. And uh, uh, wish you all the all the best on your learning journey.
0: Welcome back. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Ed Hess. Learn or Die, I love the message of that this week, and Ed's book, Learn or Die, Using Science to Build a Leading-Edge Learning Organization. It's a fantastic book, definitely worth the read. Personally, I'm a huge fan of the growth mindset. I believe that anybody can learn anything, so knowing that moving forward, I think really will open our eyes and make us all become better learners. If you guys enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a rating, review, and comment there. That truly does help us out. We really do appreciate when you guys take the time and leave something there for us so we can see some feedback and so the guests can see, hey, this is a legitimate show. I'd love to be on it. We've mentioned it a few times, but we do have Smart People Podcast stickers. If you want one of those, just reach out to us on Twitter at Smart or shoot us an email at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. We'll get your address and send you a sticker to your way. And if you want to stay in touch with all things Smart People Podcast related, head over to the website, smartpeoplepodcast.com, sign up for the newsletter. And you will see what we're up to, what we're reading, what we're learning, all that good stuff about every two or three weeks. Stay tuned for another great episode of Smart People Podcast, and we'll see you guys next week.